How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Tea for the Queen podcast, the podcast where we try to keep our sanity in an era of staying woke. We explore current events and issues and topics through the lens of progressive thought, discussion, feminism, peace, and love, all while keeping wellness at the center of it all. My name is Tierra Burns. I am your host, and this is your episode. I've noticed something very interesting in the past few years. Not only has there been more discussion about racism and restorative justice and reconciling where this country, the United States, has gotten us. Honestly, this is our entire society has gotten us because of racism. There has also been a byproduct discussion, which is a discussion about colorism. Colorism is discrimination against those with darker skin tones. It happens in every culture and all societies around the world. I know that more people know what colorism is. We can point it out and we now have the language for it. But most importantly, I wanted to ask and have a conversation with Dr. Sarah Webb about what do we do and where do we go now that we know what colorism is. So I want you guys to enjoy this conversation. If there's anyone that you want to talk to about colorism, Dr. Webb is the person to talk to. She has done TEDx speeches. She's been on NPR. She does academic articles. She does workshops. She does it all when it comes to this thing. And I know that you guys will take some value from this conversation. I can't wait to get your feedback and I'll catch you on the other side. Let's get into it. Dr. Webb, how's it going today? It is going great. That's the good. Sun is shining. It's warming up outside. <laughs> yeah, it's 60 degrees there. And I think it's like 40 or 50 here in Dallas. And I'm just kind of like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not liking it. But no, um, I'm so happy that you're here. You know, uh, I feel, you know, we went from TikTok and now we're on, we're here. Yes, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure if you, I don't, I don't talk about my podcast on my TikTok at all. It's just me having fun. So yeah, I'm just happy that you were open to it. Cause you're like, this doesn't have anything to do with what she talks about her, or her TikTok. Cause it's random. <laughs> but I enjoy your TikToks though. They are fun. Okay. Yeah, I like good, them. good, good. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be talking about colorism today. That is your area of expertise. So give me a little brief, um, like what was the instance that made you want to get involved in uh, doing work for healing colorism? Yeah, so it was, I think it was the a culmination of things. I think it was the accumulation of all the experiences I had had in my life. Uh, so obviously I experienced it as a dark-skinned, you know, Black girl growing up in South Louisiana at that. But I didn't speak up about it. And so I think what ma- gave me the push to finally speak up was two things. One, 
I was teaching high school and my students, it was a predominantly African-American high school, and my students were saying colorist things. And part of me, you know, because I had not done any studying, had never talked about colorism before, even though I was experiencing it. So part of me was really surprised that this was still happening. I was like, yo, I thought this was just a thing in my generation. I thought this was something that would have gone away after I left high school. But it hit me that it's going to continue to go from generation to generation to generation if we don't do something. So I think that kind of woke me up that this is a problem that's going to continue if we don't actually try to do something. And the second thing is that that also happens to be the year when Bill Duke came out with the documentary, Bill Duke and other people at, at all, I should say, came out with the Dark Girls documentary. And I saw Ta-Nehisi Coates um, post about how his light-skinned mother scolded him for saying he only date light-skinned girls in response to the movie. And he posted the trailer. He embedded the the preview of the movie in the, his blog post. And that made, made me feel like it was safe enough to talk. Because I was like, okay, here go these famous people saying things that I had been seeing my whole life, but nobody was trying to hit it. And so now it's like, okay, I'm not the only one saying it. Like, here's proof that it's not just me. I'm not just crazy. I'm not just being too sensitive. So that kind of also gave me the courage to finally speak publicly about it. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, um, I did some research and in the past five years, there's been like almost a tripling of increase on Google searches on colorism. I'm not sure if you know that. And the spike happened. It's so funny. It happened in June of 2020. And of course, right. And also June of 2021 is when the spikes both happened on Google for people searching for wow. colorism. And they were attached to Lin-Manuel Miranda. It was attached to um, Blackish. And I want to say, um, oh, God, what's that show that makes everybody cry? This is us. I haven't seen This Is Us. <laughs> I'm not going to watch This Is Us because I don't want to cry. Um, but I, those I haven't were... watched it in a while, but I cry every episode. So See, you're good. You're you know, good. Life, life is hard <laughs> enough. Okay, I don't, exactly. need, I don't need that. Um, so why do you think, it's, it's funny you said that about Ty-Nazi Coates, why do you think, other than the obvious reasons of um, what happened in 2020, why do you think there has been a consistent increase in interest in this topic? Yeah. Well, one I'll say I'm super excited that that happened because when I started, it wasn't it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. that was actually one of a motivation for starting it too, is because I wasn't seeing enough conversations that people could access online. You know, they mm-hmm. had books written, but nobody was reading books and learning about color. It's like we got to do something online. So mm-hmm. I think, and it's interesting you said 2020 was like a really big spike because that's also when my following grew because I started in like 2011, 20 between 2011 and 2013. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, you know, like 2000 followers, 3000 followers in 2020 hit. And I was like, Oh, I'm in the five digits. <laughs> um, but I think one is the internet, right? I think as the internet matures, as more and more people start to use it and start to engage on it, I think we see conversations that, ha- that the mainstream had ignored finally gaining traction, mm-hmm. right? And finally, you know, people who do know about colorism are able to build platforms and help to spread that awareness. And then also, I think I look at the younger generations and I'm always like, they are so much more woke at their age than I was at that age. And so I think we're just seeing like, fortunately, 
once because the information has now been out there, people are able to discover it sooner in life at earlier ages. And we know millennials, yes, um, but also what's the, what's the generation after millennials? Um, Gen Z. Gen Z, yes, the babies. Yes. Yeah, they (laughs) are, I think, taking the internet by storm. You know, with TikTok flew off, flew or grew. Why am I fumbling through my words? TikTok took off um, because of them. And I think they are even more vocal. They're even more willing to speak truth to power than, um, you know, my generation was. And so they are extremely aware of colorism. I asked, I, I told the story of how I didn't know the word colorism until 2011, 2012, when I started actively blogging and writing about it. So I asked in my comments on Instagram, I said, when did you first learn about colorism or about the word colorism? And somebody left the comment, I've always known the word colorism. And part of me was like, but how old are you, though? <laughs> yeah. How old are you? Come on now. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, definitely if you have a certain age, that was not a popular term at all. So, yeah, we just knew um, light skin versus dark skin. That's what that's what I grew up understanding. Light skin versus dark skin. And it's so funny in my. um, So my mom is light skin. Right. Um, She doesn't consider her light, but I'm like, girl, come on now. Come on now. And my dad, he's from mom my mom was born and raised in Detroit. My dad is from like deep red dirt Alabama. You know what I mean? So my dad, he's really, really deep deep chocolate. And I'm the um in my in my siblings, I have three other siblings. Uh I'm the light skin version. And I'm like, I am not I'm not light skin. You know what I mean? So but growing up, I would hear that and as I've gotten older um, and I start to look more like my mom, that that is what I get. And I'm kind of I don't know how to feel about that. Um, but I also and I'm, I'm bringing this uh, into my niece. So my niece right now, she's dealing with bullying at school. She's about she's about to turn eight this year. They've brought up her weight, her skin. And I listened to your story about what happened with your mom and your aunts and how they were complimenting your sister versus you. Um, what were some of the things that you felt you, well, you, if you could go back and tell, whisper in someone's ear during that time, what were some of the things that you wish would have been affirmed to you about who you are? Come on, Tierra. That's a big <laughs> That's not what I thought that question was going. That's really cool. Okay. Um, I thought you were just going to ask me what experiences I had. You know what I mean? Which is a a valid question, but I like (laughs) where you took it. Um, But I think to to that point is Mm -hmm. I see you. Because like I said, I was talking to someone in Atlanta earlier. And in a lot of those instances, people would not actively criticize me. They wouldn't actively bully me. They just would act like I wasn't there. So in showering my lighter skin sister or my lighter skin cousins with compliments, you know, they walk into the house or walk into the room like, oh, you know, they're so, so cute and so pretty. Look at these beautiful girls. You know, just all the attention is on my sisters or cousins who are lighter and not a word will be said to me or about me. Just like as if I was not there. And so I think even just, it's kind of sad to think about, but like, even just like, Oh, Hey, I see you too. Like you're in the room as well. We acknowledge you. And we also think you're a pretty little girl. Right. Um, But I think also it 
having those experiences, feeling that, especially as a young age, did make me bitter, did put a chip on my shoulder, right? As the darker skinned sister who was constantly, you know, ignored or not validated when the person right next to me was being validated. And so that then became a self-fulfilling prophecy because people thought I had an attitude or people thought, well, she's the mean one. I'm like, I wouldn't be mean if y'all would treat me the same way y'all treat other people in the room, right? And so it kind of became this like vicious cycle. And so I think one of the things that could have been affirmed was um, like you're you're not bad or you're not um, mean. You're not mean. You are actually, you actually have a valid concern. Like that would have been a great affirmation. A great affirmation if, if an adult or an older person would have told me, no, like what you're seeing and feeling is actually happening to you. And we're not going to gaslight you and, and say, oh, just, just, you know, don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about what they think. Like, no, we acknowledge that th- this is a real thing that happens in the world. And we're sorry that it's happening to you. Um, but your the way you feel is a valid response to being treated that way. Um, and then I think, you know, it would have helped if I did have other adults who were aware and actively talking about it, even if they couldn't change the situation. I think it would have helped if they had at least if I had at least seen that people knew and cared. Mm-hmm. Um that what you said about uh, being called mean, I was also called mean too. <laughs> and um, I was just a kid, you know, but do you feel that, um, and I feel like the compliments that black dark skinned girls received are very different than the compliments that light skinned girls received. It's very, very different. Um, and a lot of the compliments that we received me and my sisters, you know, we're all of every of our community we grew up in. We were considered, oh, the smart girls, you know, the ones who were we all were all college educated, um, D9, all those things. But it felt looking back now that we're on this discussion, it feels like there was some unconscious um compensation to make up for. OK, well, at least, you know, I'm not pretty, but I'm smart as hell. You know what I mean? So. Do you think there's some truth to that and um, expecting that, you know, dark skinned women, like we kind of have to compensate in so many different ways, you know? One thousand percent. One thousand percent. And actually, I've I've done a couple. I think I did one recently talking about like, um, I don't know, uh, we internalize the colorism sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um you know, when black folks say, oh, we have to be twice as good as white folks. I'm like, as a dark skinned person, does that mean I have to be three times as good as everybody else? You know, that's really how I felt like. And that's my exact story. I was like, well, I ain't gonna get no points for being pretty. So I gotta be smarter. I gotta be funnier. I gotta be cooler. I gotta just in some way prove my value or prove my work. Right. And I think part of the healing process that I've gone through and that I try to coach other dark skinned people through is that, no, you don't have to prove that. Right. It's inherent. You can stand in it, sit in it, just being you. And you don't have to like add on all these extra layers. You know, I used to think, oh, maybe if I learn five languages, then it'll, then that'll be the trick that makes it. I've tried to learn four. So you probably (laughs) did. I, I tried know. to learn four. I don't know too. So let's, <laughs> okay. that was a, that was a stretch for me. But okay. um, 
Yeah, that's definitely a thing. And I think even, you know, when it comes to like wearing my natural hair, mm-hmm. sometimes it's the, the idea of like, well, I, I wouldn't dare be dark skin and have short hair. I wouldn't dare be dark skin and have a natural or I wouldn't dare be dark skin and wear loud colors. I can't wear yellow. I can't wear red lipstick. And so there are a lot of ways that I feel dark skin women feel like we have to contort ourselves even more mm-hmm. than other women in particular have to. So what are some of the daily practices that you use to work with that through that contortion? Yeah. So I'm going to talk about affirmations and I know people who follow me regularly going to get sick and tired. They got a TikTok sound, sound I want to use called y'all going to get sick of me. Y'all going to get sick of me. I love that sound. I love that sound. But that was when um, my, I think my life really started to change when I started applying and using affirmations and mm-hmm. affirmations could come in any form. It could be a song. That's an affirmation mm-hmm. for you. And like, it could be like a YouTube Ted talk. You can watch a TEDx talk on YouTube and that's affirming for you, but just like positive words, positive messages and writing them down, saying them to myself. And in the beginning, when I had the most work to do, it was, uh, I was extra with it. I have to say that depending on where you are in your journey, if you're just starting, you might have to be a little extra with some of your daily practices to really get get over the inertia, right? That inertia mm-hmm. of just starting. And so I would do them every day. I had like a, a blue composition notebook and I had filled it up like thousands of affirmations and like quotes and stuff like that. But also I think knowing when you're most vulnerable is really helpful. So I used to wake up in the morning and like my thought spiral would just automatically start. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I can't let myself just lay in bed. Cause if I lay in bed, I'm going to start thinking and that's mm-hmm. going to be bad for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I did that. I was like, okay, get up as soon as you can and start your day and just override that tendency to, to go down a negative thought spiral. And then on top of that, I was like, since until I get to a place where I can trust my own thoughts to be positive and affirming, I'm going to listen to someone else's voice instead of listening to my voice. Because right now, my voice is not working with me. It's working against me. And so I would like have, again, a YouTube video or a podcast or just some audio that I could click play on in the morning that I can listen to when I'm waking up and doing that sort of thing. So I think those were have been the most consistent daily practices I've used. That's wonderful. Yeah. I use affirmations as well. Um, I'm not that good at them, but when I use them, they're very powerful. Um, I have started uh, incorporating more inspirational music into my daily diet, which is, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, my next <laughs> question is, so um, we talked about the, uh, the, um, the risings in 2020 and how they affected people's views on colorism. Um, what does healing look like now that people are, I guess you could say more woke or aware of the situation for everybody? So I think my, my own definition of healing has evolved as I've been doing this work. And I think of it as like four layers. And the first mm-hmm. layer is, I think what most of us think about, which is just like, healing my own emotional pain and healing the way I think about myself, healing, you know, self-love kind of healing and Mm -hmm. cultivating self-love, cultivating self-confidence, self-acceptance just for ourselves as individuals. But I also talk about healing as retraining our brains 
How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. With the biases that we've been entrenched with, right? Mm. And so if someone has a negative bias towards someone because they're darker or because their hair texture is a certain way or they have wide features, like unlearning that. I think unlearning the negative racist stereotypes that have led to colorism in the first place is a part of that healing work as well. And I think the layer next to that is healing our relationships with each other. And actually, I just posted on my Instagram a conversation I did with my biological sister um, as a lighter skinned person. And I think we know, you know, like you said, light skin versus dark skin, how colorism has ruined a lot of the ties within the black community, within the African-American mm-hmm. community, even within actual families, like not even just the black community as a concept, but like actual families mm-hmm. don't like each other because colorism has gotten in there and messed with people. Right. And so one healing relationships with each other means taking accountability for where mm-hmm. we have caused harm, taking accountability for the ways that we maybe take up too much space or have certain privileges, taking accountability for the ways that we have committed acts of violence or bullied our own, you know, family or made jokes that to us were just jokes, but we don't know who might've been offended by that. You know what I mean? And then just making a commitment to do better and to change. And then I think about healing because I, I see colorism as a disease, a social disease. And so mm-hmm. eradicating that from the social fabric gradually. I mean, there are theories that say stuff like this will never go away. But if we can get to a tipping point where even if it still exists, it's not the dominant narrative out there mm-hmm. in society. Yeah. As long as we can get to the point where everyone agrees, this is actually wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I think... We're at the point where people are ashamed and embarrassed, as they should be, to be identified as a racist. Mm-hmm. I would like to see that happen with colorism. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. that's what no, I would like I don't to see. Don't don't call me a colorist. Don't call me. Ra- yeah, no, that is it is what you are. You need to be addressing that. So, I also want to talk about um, Tandy Newton. Did you see what happened? Mm-hmm. Her beautiful apology. Love it. <laughs> So fantastic because we needed that. I mean, she's an actress, you know? Yeah. She so has what a did flair. You, yeah. <laughs> what did you think about that? So, okay, so I admit that I am not the best with keeping up with and responding to celebrity news and stuff like that. Um, because even people have been like, have you have you talked about this? Like, where are you, Dr. Webb? But mm-hmm. I actually did an interview with Mark Lamont Hill on it because they okay. someone else couldn't do it, so they reached out to me. And so one of the first things I said was, I don't even think, I, I don't even call it an apology. I don't even think it was an apology. I think some... Um, a declaration? The, the I feel like it was, um, I'm sorry you feel that way. Right? Like, if, if somebody does something and you, like, call them out on it and say, oh, that... I feel like you were being racist. I'm like, well, I'm sorry you feel like I'm a racist, but I'm not. That's basically what it's felt like to me. Like I am innocent here when what I think 
she didn't do was take responsibility, which is what we would have really needed. Like as an actress, Tandy Way Newton, you could say no. And we have seen younger actresses, younger biracial actresses say no. And they get it. They're like, oh, you know, I have a lot of other opportunities I could take. I'm going to pass on this one because it don't feel right to take up this kind of space. And I'm like, if the younger, if the youngins can get it, Tandy Way, you also could have said no to certain things and or said, if I accept this, I'm bringing somebody else with me. I remember somebody did that on a magazine cover one time. I think um, I don't know if they were different skin tones, but I remember one actress who was a little more famous maybe said, if I'm going to be on the cover for this film, I want my co-star on the cover right beside me. Right. And like there are actual things you can take which are more helpful than you crying on the internet about things that you could have changed. So that was how I felt about it. <laughs> yeah. I, when I heard her, um, I call it a declaration of a uh, light skinned. Um, that's what I call it. Um, when I, like I heard it. I like that, it. I now give her the same heat that I give Zoe Saldana for playing. Um, yeah. Playing Nina that Simone. role, playing Nina Simone. I, I, I give her the same heat now because it's like, you're obviously aware. If you have to go and sit in a chair and get layers of skin on your face, get black, get into blackface, get into a whole bodysuit. Prosthetic nose. Something is not like you have to, something isn't right there. You know what I mean? Like, because there are people born with those features and they're walking all over California. You know what I mean? So I give her that same heat. So how do you think that, um, how do you think that entertainment perpetuates that? Cause I'll also bring in an article that I read about, um, black couples, um, that you see even in commercials. And it's always, it's always wild to me. Um, even like, okay, so like, you know, the, the man is always going to be dark skin, right? He's going to be a dark skin brother, right? The, the, the woman, she's going to be light skin, right? And even if she isn't, if say she's medium dark skin, the daughter will be (laughs) biracial. And I don't understand that. You know what I mean? But you know what I'm talking about, right? The the links they go to to be colorist. I'm like y'all. It just don't y'all make sense. going out of y'all way to be colorist. Like you going out of your way to do this. And 100 correct. I think. And I've had people say, you know, when you point out to somebody that the men is most likely going to be dark, dark. The man is most likely going to be darker, and the woman is most likely going to be lighter. I've had people come back and say, "I see it all the time now. I can't unsee it." It's like mm-hmm. you can't unsee that pattern because it's so pervasive. Um, so that's definitely true. And I think even if the woman is dark skinned, mm-hmm. it's the man is always darker, right? Like even mm-hmm. if it's like a darker brown woman, they're going to find a man who's even darker than her. Mm-hmm. And it's rare. I think people like, let's say Issa Rae, I, I really do like Issa Rae, um, where she, for a while she was dating a lighter skinned man and like her co-star was dating like men who were lighter. Like if, when that happens, it's intentional. Mm. And so I heard Issa Rae do, doing a live interview once she was asked the question, you know, did you purposely have two dark skinned leading ladies instead of always going with the the uh, cliche light skin friend, dark skin friend. Right. And she was like, yeah, I did that on purpose because in reality, 
two dark-skinned people can be best friends, right? And so I think someone like her is very intentional and very aware about how they're presenting people of different skin tones on screen. And so I do think that that team was like, yo, let's break out of that trope and like, let's let the guy be the lighter one in the relationship for a change. And then to your point about the mixed race daughter, I remember I was doing um, a on a panel with the, on the Tammy Mack show. And one of, and those people, they have way more access, like insight into Hollywood than I do. And someone said, that on my wife and kids, I think it was the daughter when she was really young was actually dark skinned and are like darker skin and like fit in with the family look, the family features. But when she was supposed to grow up and become of dating age, they, they, the producers, the showrunners were like, well, we have to make her look like someone that we think boys would date that we think boys would be interested in. And so that's a very interesting dynamic. And even when I think about the show, The Wonder Years, and how you have all of these like beautiful dark-skinned women, but the love interest of the main character is a little lighter and has like a looser curl pattern. She's not, I wouldn't say she's light-skinned, but she's lighter than him, right? Um, And I think there is, whether it's a white person making the movie, a non-Black person, and unfortunately... Even when we make our own movies, there's this belief that if particularly if the woman is supposed to be attractive to men, that it can't be a dark skinned woman or it can't be a woman with natural hair. Right. Or it can't even be like a plus size woman, even like it has to be a very narrow white supremacist, patriarchal version of what a attractive woman looks like. Yeah. Very powerful. Did you know that this is allegedly um, the role that HBO wanted? Um, I'm sorry, the actress that they wanted to play Issa's character was Lauren London. Yeah. Yeah. I was like. I read that in her book. Yeah. She said, she like, they, they suggested Lauren London. She was like, they don't get it. And I'm so thankful that she didn't back down. Yes. Right? Yes. Because a lot of people would have said, well, let me go ahead and get this check. You know, it's a job, you know, who am I? But like, cause she wasn't even popular yet. No, she it's was not, not like she had, she had rank. Like now she, of course she has rank, but back then she was just getting started and she said, no, thank you. So in, until more people are willing to do that, willing to say, no, thank you. Willing to say, this might be what y'all say we want but it ain't what I'm going to do. I don't, I just don't think there are enough, even, even amongst black creators aren't enough of us who are courageous enough to do that in Hollywood or whatever other media industry. Do you think that's something that's changing though? Or do you think they were almost there? Yeah. No, I think hopefully Issa Rae sees this and, you know, brings me on her next project. (laughs) But I think she's yeah, an example. Yeah, me too. I'm, you know, I got your, I got your cups. It's... Hey, see? Boom. We got Boom. y'all. If you're out there, we're sending out the bat signal. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I think she's an example of change. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I love how everyone who was a part of that Insecure project, I've seen them do other work. I've seen them, like, go on to write for other shows, direct other things, star in other things, just make their own projects. Also, a relatively new show that I love is uh, Abbott Elementary with Quinta Brunson. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Black Lady Sketch Show. Yes. 
I love it. And, and so Twitter. Also yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, she's on Twitter? I don't know that much yeah, about that's, Twitter. Sorry, you know, yeah, that's how she, <laughs> she got famous. But I'm listening to Goa. Go. Okay, cool. Yeah. See, that's good. So internet, the internet is giving people opportunities. Yes. Even Issa Rae said she wouldn't be where she was if it wasn't for YouTube, right? But um, so that's that. That's really exciting to know that she is, Quinta Brunson is where she is just from starting on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons why I like the dark skin representation in that show is because they're also like not um, the Kelly Rowland kind of dark skin girls, if you catch my drift, right? They are fuller. Um, one of the older teachers is an older dark skin black woman with really full lips, you know, and like curves and things like that. And even Quinta Brunton herself, you know, she's shorter and has like a full face. And I'm just like, you don't have look like Tika Sumter or Kelly Rowland as a dark-skinned person to be in a leading role on TV. And I love that. Even the principal, who is hilarious. <laughs> Me and my mom was like, she's the funniest one. <laughs> she is the funniest one. Didn't she have like a foot scrub in her office or something like foot soak in her office? I love her character so much. But she, what I love about her is that she's so like kind of relatable. You know what I mean? Like she's not, she's, when you look at like schools in America, she's not the only dark skin principal that there is, right. you know what I mean? But yeah. if you looked at Hollywood and how they usually portray principals in urban cities, it's not us, you know? And just the fact that we can name three dark skin actresses on one show. Yes. Unprecedented. One show. Unprecedented. It's, usually they might have a they might have a token but yeah i'm just like i really like what's what i'm seeing here so that more sign of progress i think that's really big progress actually is abbott elementary and also i love how they um the children that the, the there's like a variance of the children like it's just very it's very intentional and mindful Ew. you know what i mean it's yeah no, no, the kids look like real kids they don't look like um, sterilized versions of what people want kids to be, right? They look like they really took local kids from the community. It was like, hey, y'all come get this money. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I love it. <laughs> My favorite one is a little girl who, um, Asked to be in Quinta's Janine's class, and yeah. Quinta was like, "Oh, she wants to be in my class because I'm a better teacher." You know what I mean? And that kid put that girl put her through hell. That was hilarious, hilarious, yes. and just like the being able to be imperfect as dark skinned black woman. Like we were talking about the principal, she doesn't have to be. She can be extremely flawed, but still be likable. And still be a fan favorite as a dark skinned woman. And it's not like, oh, the the dark skinned woman is cast as this like stereotype or the antagonist or, you know, just like some evil person. And it's just it's really refreshing. And it's sad that I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. It's just so it's healing. The the younger version of me who would flip through channel after channel. And even once streaming came along, you know, you're searching through HBO Max, you're searching through Hulu, you're searching through Netflix. And even now in 2022, it's still rare, even on the Amazon Prime, it's still rare to see movies and TV shows that do a good job of portraying dark skinned women. They're, 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 they're more, but it's still hard. I know for me, when I want to watch something, I uh, it's interesting what you said about the principal because she's that character is allowed to be flawed so much in like our professional careers. Like we are expected to be absolutely perfect. Know what you know. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of that three. You got to be three times as good. So 
Yeah, it's just, Ooh. it's very refreshing to see. Um, yeah. Do you feel that something also that is changing? I'm sure you probably work with, cor- uh, with corporations to help talk to them about colorism mm-hmm. in the past two years. Do you think that that is something that's also changing? I find it, I find it um, encouraging that so many companies do reach out and want to bring colorism to their employees. And I will say most of the times when people are contacting me, it's not coming from like top level management in the company. It's usually coming from employees who are like, oh yeah, we saw your work or, oh, we want somebody to talk about this. And so we're going to bring it to your company. But sometimes like top level executives might be on the event, might be joining the, most of them are virtual. They might be like on the session listening. But I do think that that's encouraging because I'm sure prior to 2020, like they would have been like colorism, like what What y'all talking about? Like we barely figured out race. And so I like that. And it's been, I think there still needs to be more though, because usually that's the first time they've talked about colorism. And it's usually just like colorism 101, what is it? And so I think going forward, a lot of companies and businesses will have to get beyond like, okay, now it's great. You have that awareness. You at least are able to know it and identify it. But now let's look at some of your company policies and like workplace practices and look at your hiring patterns and trends and like, is there actual equity amongst people of different skin tones and that sort of thing? So I think that would be a next step, but it's, it is great, a great step that people are at least making themselves aware. And I, I think that's an important first step. Okay. And I think, I think we have a long way to go in that aspect. So we do have to wrap it up. I won't take up too much of your time. Is there anything else that you would like to say um, to, to the listeners about what you do and how they can find you and also about healing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, About what I do. So my platform is colorism healing and you can find me on any place on the internet, my website, colorismhealing.com and just about every social media platform. And I use that as a space to raise awareness about colorism and for people who want to go beyond just the informational content and sometimes entertaining content, you can work with me either by hiring me to speak at your company, for example, but I also do coaching, small group coaching, one-on-one coaching with people who want more hands-on support in their healing journey. And so to that, what I would encourage anyone listening to do is to self-reflect. And before we can figure out how to solve a problem, we have to understand where we are now, right? So a lot of people ask for a plan, like what's the plan from here? And so whether you're a company, a business, a parent, a teacher, or just an individual who wants to heal, the first step is to see where you are now and why you got there. And so if you are lacking self-confidence, if you don't love your own skin tone, you know, know that, know where you are and consider, you know, well, what about my life? Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast today. I know that you probably took some gems from myself and from Dr. Webb. Remember, if you want to reach out to her, contact her at colorismhealing.com or colorismhealing anywhere on social media. Remember, if you enjoyed today's podcast, it would mean so much to me and the team if you left us a five-star rating on iTunes or if you let us know what you think via email, that email address is contacttforthequeen at gmail.com. Or you can just reach out to us at the website tforthequeen.com. Thank you guys for listening today. My name is Sierra Burns. I have been your host. Stay woke, stay well, and stay thriving. 
powerful as the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com.